Welcome to another edition of Smith and Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Fresh content right here on Sportsnet 59 of the Fan every Thursday and on your favorite podcast platform. Download, subscribe, rate, and review. And as I always say as well, share it. Make sure you send this along to folks so they can check out Smith and Jones. And they're going to want to listen to this show this week, I guarantee it, because we are stacked with a ton of fantastic guests this week. And we start with an all-time fan favorite. His time in Toronto wasn't very long, but he certainly made an impact as he helped the Raptors get back into the postseason after a five-year drought. And I still see number 11 jerseys when I'm walking around the city or walking around Scotiabank Arena. They're still there to be found almost 15 years later. Let's bring into the conversation former Raptors point guard T.J. Ford. T.J., love having you on the show and uh, looking forward to catching up here over the next little while. Um Listen, man, I'll, I'll just I'll just lob one up for you to start, and then we can kind of get into some of the finer details and, and finer things over the course of our chat. But, you know, when you look back on your time in Toronto, TJ, what stands out? If there's one or two memories that stand out more than any, what kind of comes front of mind for you? <laughs> well, the first thing is getting traded and coming doing your physical, doing Carabana. So that was, that was like great. <laughs> that was a great introduction to Toronto, I tell you that. Um, you know, I mean, I mean, for my time, that was being able to partner up with one of my really good friends at that time was Chris Bosch. And, you know, coming to Toronto when I was with the Bucks, we used to always go to go to Muse. I think that was the name of it, the Jamaican spot with the jerk chicken. Yep. I mean, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, during that time, I mean, he was a huge advocate of, of, of me getting traded and coming to Toronto. And, you know, obviously we had two stellar, stellar, stellar seasons there together. So I think my experience is just connecting with, with another Texas guy and Chris Bosch and, and watching our careers uh, take off. TJ, you talked about your introduction. Uh, I've always teased the, uh, the the Players Association, said if you want perfect attendance at your meeting, have it Carabana weekend in Toronto. But um, uh, the, the Carabana part aside, what caught you most about Toronto? Like you said, you're a guy from Texas before we even – came on mic here we were talking about you know the nuances of toronto the weather and stuff like that what what caught you initially uh even even away from that weekend that's a great weekend but that's like a recruiting weekend it's not always like that but but what caught you what catches you most when you come i mean look the people in toronto is just unbelievable i mean it's the same southern feel that you have when you here in the state of texas i think when you look at you know, the culture, so many different nationalities sharing their, their culture and experience with one another. I think it makes it a city very, very cool and very awesome to be a part of because I mean, you have different nationalities just all over the place eating and, uh, you know, just sharing their culture with each other. That's that's not really how it typically is in the, in the southern region. So I think for me, the food was excellent. Um, the people were great. And then when it comes to the basketball aspect coming into the arena, you know, you had a big diverse of uh, age groups at games. It, it, it was wasn't an older crowd. It was I mean, you had an older crowd, you had a young crowd, you had you know kids. So I think you had a mixture of um, in the atmosphere in the arena that was just electrifying for us to be able to play and perform. Hey TJ, let me ask you about that in, in coming to Toronto specifically, and as you talk about that relationship that you had, that friendship that you had with Chris. Not that you didn't have guys that you were close with in Milwaukee as well, but when you come into the league for the first time, and I would say this to anybody, to, to any rookie player in any sport for that matter, but you come in at, you know, Naismith Player of the Year and, and Wooden Award winner and, and Sporting News Player of the Year and all the accolades, a top 10 pick, and then suddenly you go from being a college dude to a pro and away from home and living in a different city and all the, the adjustments that come with being now a professional. Was it easier now that you had a few years under your belt and now you've got one of your closest dudes with you in Toronto as opposed to when you first burst in with the Bucks. I mean with the Bucks, my mentor was Sam Cassell so my transition to Milwaukee was easy because that was a guy I spent my entire summer with so right. you know he had everything kind of lined up for me and, and kind of gave me the land of the you know the lay of the land so I, I think for me my transition from city to city was very 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 easy. You know, I wasn't a guy who did too much. I always was going to stay close to the, you know, the arena or practice facility. So my adjustments was never, never, never hard. I've been traveling my whole life as a, as a kid. So uh, for me personally, uh, adjusting is, is pretty, 
pretty easy for me. I just need two weeks, and then I, I'm pretty much going to learn the city and, you know, know where to go and, and, and where to get to. TJ, talk to me about your locker room back then. You know, there was there was a lot of, uh, like you said, there was there was a lot of diversity in the city. But how did the, how was the locker room? What was what were what were your teammates like when you look back and you reflect? I mean, it's sometimes hard when you're in the moment, but you know it's been a while now. You step back, like there there had to have been some things about that locker room that you you really liked or you really kind of treasured. We had a great locker room. I mean, look, I just had lunch with Russell Nesterovich who came in town um, two days ago and that I'll see again here in you know, the next 48 hours to have dinner in Dallas. So, you know, when you look at Jose Calderon, a guy that uh, we worked uh, with the uh, MBPA for the past few years until he just moved on um, into the front office role. So a lot of these, at Mo Pete, we still talk and visit each other. Um, so I have a lot of guys just from the Anthony Park I see all the time. That's a, you know GM with the Lando Magic. So you know, that that team, that locker room for me is you know a lot of these guys who still really cool, we're still close, and we still keep in contact. So we had a great locker room with these guys. Speaking with TJ Ford, I I saw that picture that you posted with Rasho. I hadn't seen him in a while. And he, other than a few more gray hairs, which we all have, TJ, <laughs> he still looks the same right. to me, man. It's it's it was right. it was great to see him. Oh, it's awesome to see him. I mean, it's been, man, maybe 10 years I haven't seen Ross Joe Wow. And uh, we've been trying to figure out how to, you know, find time for me to even go visit him in his country with my family. So, I mean, he's been a dear friend. And, you know, we shared a lot of amazing times together with his family and my family. TJ, talk to me about your transition. Um, you know, you, you can tell the, our, our listeners some of the stuff that you've been you've been doing, you were telling Eric and I off mic, but, um, you know, the cheering stops at some point and you get into other things. Talk to us about your transition and kind of what's going on now with you. You know, my, my transition, I mean, I come into the NBA, you know, ultimately goes play 15 plus years, but the reality is of my career, I, I, I knew it was going to be a stress to me to make it that far. So I was able to get, you know, a good nine years out of it and, so I always had in the back of mind I was going to have to do something else, and I was going to, you know, stop, stop bouncing from me. So, um, man, I just came home, and the guys that I uh, that was training with me throughout the summer on my runs, these guys allowed me to kind of become their trainers. You know, James Posey, the Rashard Lewis, is the Chuck Hayes, and can name quite a few more guys that just allowed me to become their trainer since I already had the, the setup. And from there, I just got back involved with, with some young kids. And, just felt like I could make a, a big difference in their lives and got involved with youth sports and uh, been doing it ever since. Help me hey, TJ, when you talk- Go ahead, Jonesy, go ahead. No, TJ, you, you talk about your transition. Uh, yours seem to be pretty smooth. I know you're helping guys now with transitions. You've, you've told us that. What, what's the biggest issue, like you said, when the cheering stops, and making that transition and not being front and center in the limelight. What 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 are some of the things that guys? I, I, I don't even know if struggle is the right word, but guys have to adjust to, and how you help them with that. I mean, the number one thing you got to adjust to is, is, is really being, you know, a full time dad, or if you know you married a full time husband, uh, playing an NBA and us being on the road all the time. You're doing it half of the time. Probably half of that time, your mind is still somewhere else. So I just think being able to adjust that the responsibilities that really comes at every, you know, every father that's not in a professional sport is, is doing every day. And I think that, you know, that's a, you know, that's difficult. That's that's a challenge. You know, you want to be around your kids, but then you find out how much energy and, and time it takes. You know, it gets challenging, but. Uh, you know, and then listen, man, you're making millions of dollars. I mean, you go from millions of dollars to zero. It's, it's just, it's a different mentality, it's a different mindset. So you have to be able to, you know, do the right things while you're playing and while you're making the kind of money to take yourself for, you know, the long haul for the next, you know, 50, 60 years you got to live. So, I mean, I just think the transition for, for anybody, um, that's changing course, I have to pivot. You know, it, it comes with difficulties now. 
you know, I just, you know, hey, for me, I just, I just, I just keep busy. Yeah. TJ, based on what you're just saying there, I don't, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm going to assume in working with the youth then, no matter what age, whether we're talking about a 12-year-old or a 22-year-old, that's got to be part of your quote-unquote coaching, the off-the-floor stuff, talking to them about the life and the lifestyle and just the game beyond the game as well. Am I right? Correct, 100%. I mean, these kids have dreams to do things that you know I've done. Um, and, you know, some of these kids are just using the sport to be able to get to the next destination and get the free education or networking for themselves. So, you know, when it comes down to it, you just being, you know, a leader for your community, giving kids a, a different kind of outlet, a different view of how this sports industry works. And for kids who want to be a part of it, you don't have to be an NBA player to be an NBA. Oh, interesting. Um, I mean, look at me. Look at me. I mean, look at you guys. You guys are. You guys having a longer career in the NBA than I have. You know, and that's a blessing. <laughs> I mean, just think about it. You guys, you yeah. guys get to watch the best players every night and talk yeah. about it. So, you know, I express the kids that they can they can be you guys. Yeah. You know, it's it's interesting you say yeah. that as well, TJ. I'm just going to jump in here for a sec, Jonesy. That that's one thing that that I would say if I if I had a chance to speak to any of the kids that you're with, or or I know when Jonesy and I speak to colleges or high school kids or whatever else beyond just athletes, there's so many jobs now connected to the sport and 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 not just the nba like listen you don't make it in the pros right away in the first couple of years well you know what maybe now you've got the g league which didn't exist you know 20 years ago or now there's you right. might not be aware of it tj but canada's finally got its own pro league in canada's five years running now the cebl so you don't make it to the nba you really? don't make it to the g league you don't make it overseas yeah now you got a pro league yeah. in canada yeah so and it's not just the players it's not just the coaches it's broadcasters it's trainers it's travel coordinators it's pr people there are so many jobs connected to the game that if you want to make a career in sports the opportunities that exist now compared to 10 let alone 20 30 years ago it's like the sky's the limit man night and day Night and day, and that's awesome. I didn't know that. That's pretty cool to know. I mean, look at Canada basketball now. I mean, um, you know, guys, guys are taking off with talent. I mean, you're starting to be one of the top, you know, countries that are producing athletes now as basketball players. It's awesome to see. Yeah. Uh, TJ, it's funny because we talk about that all the time. Next to the United States, Canada has more NBA players than any other country in the world. And, you know, like Eric was saying, we have our pro league. And, and uh, you know, I, I, I got to think back to some of those early years with Vince and then you guys coming in. And then, you know, especially that one year where things had taken a downturn. And yet that one year in Sam's la the last year of his contract, Brian Colangelo comes in as a, uh, you know, a new GM and, the direction of the team is kind of okay well let's see it's kind of up in the air let's see what's going on and you guys you guys come away with a division championship that year sam's coach of the year what what do you remember about that season tj man a lot going on that season i mean i can tell you what i mean you know we dealt with a lot of adversity but we stayed together and uh man we made some history there right we really that that season really turned Toronto basketball, um, it's just something special. I think that was the, you know, the foundation of the Raptors organization going to the next level. Um, we shot a lot of threes. We had a lot of different weapons. Um, East was super, super tough then. Um, and then you also remember just the chaos, you know, between Brian Clangelo and Tim Mitchell. You know, that, that, was, rea that was real. And, uh, you know, obviously it got it got the best of us at some point, you know, and we didn't get to, you know, imagine we had more than two years together. How much of that actually does impact or affect then the on-the-court stuff when there's so much, as you said, chaos, whether it's drama, whatever word we want to use, when there's other stuff going on, how much of it can filter onto the floor and how difficult is it, TJ, to try and block it out? Um. I think it just depends on who you are. I think it depends on. It just depends. You know, I think it depends. It depends. It just depends. I mean, they're trying to involve you 
in the conversation of what's going on. Uh, but it affects everybody, man. You can't it can't be denied. I mean, you know it's there. You hear it. You see it. Um, we were strong enough to weather through it. We just couldn't weather through it 100%. Uh, you know, my, my, my second year, um, which, you know, that, that was – there was a lot going on that, that year. <laughs> I mean, but, yeah. you know, the game of basketball, we, we still play it. I mean, obviously, yes, when, when you're not playing well and guys are unhappy, I mean, it's no different. It's part of NBA season. It's part of NBA team. You're never going to get 100% of everybody happy. It's, it's just impossible, whether it's, you know, whether it's management or whether it's, you know, the players on the court or the coaching staff. It's just it's impossible to make it all the way through 82 games with, with no serious problems. Uh, TJ, did you ever did you ever think about that? I mean, uh, getting into management. Uh, I know you're working with the youth right now, but um, any aspirations at, at coaching or management at a higher level? Uh, of course, I mean management will be you know management for me. Um, you know, I like to develop and, and be on the court with players. But management would be ideal for me. Yeah, I think when I write the you know listen, I think when a good opportunity come up at some point, you know, I have to consider it and, and figure it out. But I, I do see myself one day being able to be, in, you know, in, in management and NBA. Speaking with TJ Ford, TJ, I, I want to jump back for a second here. And listen, I, I remember asking you these questions like, I don't know, 15 years ago, I guess, or, or close to it. When, when, when everything's going down, and, and listen, I, I say this not just because you're on the line with us right now. I remember saying this to you 15 years ago. You were always a pro with the way you approached things, the way you spoke with the media. You didn't really seem to duck things. You tried to be honest and, and upfront with stuff. But it was constantly, constantly, whether it was fan-driven, whether it was media-driven, is like Ford versus Jose and Jose versus TJ and all this stuff. And then to hear you all these years later, TJ, you're still close with Jose and you're still good friends. Was that just overblown, or what was the fact versus fiction between the whole Ford Calderon dynamic during that time? We was the best duo, probably. Man, I don't, I don't know. How, I mean, we have to be one of the best one-two punches as strictly point guards. Started backing each other up in the NBA history. We have to. I mean, things that we were doing in the way. Nobody's seen two two guards play at that level at the same time, constantly throughout the entire season. Uh, me and Jose Carteron, we never had problems. It was always love between us. I just think that was part of it's part of the NBA. It's part of management. It's part of um, you know coaching staff when you and, and fans. So I mean, in the house, we didn't really have too many. We didn't have any issues. You know, obviously all these guys were real supportive of when I got hurt and, and injured, and obviously they was able to be, you know, very, I would say, patient with me. Of, uh, you know, even when I came back from the injury, I was a little crazy, you know what I mean, uh, at, at times. But for the most part, me and him never had problems ever. We never argued, never anything. We just were super cool. There's plenty of times where we both were sacrificing for the betterment of the team and for each other. And I just think when it came down to it, um, during that time, we were just trying to figure out at that time, you know, nobody was paying two point guards starter, starter money. So that was kind of confusing. I think that kind of created this narrative of who, who are they going to keep? Are they going to keep me? Are they going to keep Calderon? I just think uh, that was a storyline that, you know, it just it just t- took up the rest of the season. And, you know, you know as expected. I've been in the trade and been in the league long enough, so I understood it. Uh, you, you know, the rest of your teammates, TJ, you talk about guys, everybody being supportive. Um, it, it seemed to me there was a, especially in that year when you guys kind of came out of nowhere and, and won the division, it, it seemed like there was a real um, a real bond that developed, not only in the locker room, but even with the coaches, even and, and even at times when there were, uh, dare I say, issues or, or you know, uh, dis- disagreements or differences of philosophy or opinion, it, it, st- it seemed like once you guys hit the court, none of that mattered. Everybody was playing for each other, and no matter what happened in a locker room or off the court or 
<laughs> once you guys hit the court, everybody was everybody was all in for the same cause. We never had problems as teammates. That was that was none of, none of, we didn't have issues on our basketball. I was that issues that y'all was hearing about had there was no issues with the basketball players. The issues was uh-huh. it had to do with management. So none of that was us. That was that was all management. That was all really between. That was just really between Brian and really Sam. It really had nothing to do with us. And we knew all that stuff was out of our control anyway. I mean, it was out of our control. Yeah. So yeah. from a player standpoint, we had no problems with each other. Nobody was tripping. Nobody had issues. You know, TJ. One of the things that stands out, and maybe this kind of ties into what you're just talking about, the tightness, the chemistry of the team. And I, I got to hope, I got to hope that this would be the case on most teams in a situation like this. But, Jonesy, I don't remember if it was last week or a couple of weeks ago. TJ, we started talking about some of the, uh, I don't even know what to call it, some of the unfortunate memories that we have of, of Raptor years gone by. And, and Jonesy and I talk about when, when Garbo went down with that gruesome leg injury. Oh after falling and, and getting entangled with Al Jefferson. And, and like, like TJ, Jonesy literally picked up his chair and was sitting facing the crowd. He couldn't look at that. And I was almost like like driving by an accident or something. I was fixated on it. I couldn't look away and seeing Jose run out on the floor and trying to, you know, to help his teammate, his countryman, his friend. But what popped into our minds right away as well, obviously a very scary situation with you in Atlanta with Al Horford and – then the team bus is going outside the hospital. We were parked there for a couple hours, and we don't know if we're coming home with TJ. If we're all staying in Atlanta, what's going on? Like yeah. we didn't know. Like yeah. we we didn't know if you'd ever play the game again. Like it was wild, man. Like like first of all, health wise, I assume you're good now and everything's been fine. But man, those you went you suffered through some scary moments in your career, man. I did my my uh, yeah, I really did, man. It was. It was- I, I remember that. For sure. I remember that for sure. Uh, look, scary moments, right, man? Very, very scary. Um, if you think that you were scared and you didn't notice me, imagine me having to still yeah. lay there for six hours, however long it was, um, to even figure out if you know what's next, just to even get tested. So. It was scary, but uh, I think you guys ended up leaving, though. I don't think y'all stayed, did y'all? I think y'all waited a while. <laughs> we right? did. And we I left. Think, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, think y'all, I think y'all ended up leaving because I had to stay. I had to stay overnight. And, um, yeah, I had to stay overnight. And then I think Rick Bones came down and uh, saw me the next day. And, uh so he saw me the next day. So yeah, I, I remember all that, man. And then, uh, you know, I had to take two, three months off, and I came back to Houston and, and got back in the gym with, with John Lucas. And uh, you know, what took me a whole year to come back from, we had to do it in in, in basically t- less than twelve weeks. You know, eight to ten weeks. Uh, and then I came back, I think, in February uh, in Miami. Yeah. I wasn't even supposed to. I wasn't even supposed to play then. It was supposed, to, but I had such a great practice. Uh, and they was like, "Man, uh, we got to suit you up now." But it was a great experience. Yeah. Toronto, man. Look, I had I had a great. I mean, look, that was my best two years of playing in the NBA from a performance standpoint. From and at my my best. Um, so I'm very thankful and grateful. I, I love the fans of Toronto. I still have people I'm connected with in Toronto. I just got to figure out, you know, so much time just went by. I got to come back and, and uh, engrave myself, like other organizations, engrave myself back into the culture there because I am part of history there. Uh, and I know I was a staple to, to turn that thing around uh, from being a lottery pick team to, you know, making it and winning division championships. Yeah, uh, TJ, it's funny because I think back to that time and, um, you know, doing community and, and events and, uh, you know, NBA Read to Achieve and, and the impact you made on the kids so much so that, uh, you know, my son, who's actually a coach now, 
uh, has graduated from college and is actually coaching himself now in, well, in a different sport, but uh, he still wears number 11 for all his jerseys <laughs> because of <laughs> because of the time that he, he that he that he spent, you know, uh, around you and around the team. And, and, you know, I look at that, the, the impact that 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 players have with people. Um, when you look at the league now, TJ, who are some of the the young impact players that, you know, you watch the league, you played in it, you say, you know what, I like to watch this guy play. I like to watch, you know, these 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 teams play because of the way they play the game. And I think back, you guys were way ahead of the way ahead of time. The way the game is played now, if you guys could have played like that, it would have been very different. Oh, no doubt about it. Uh, I mean, when you just look at the league, it's always going to be new stars that can carry it. I mean, when you look at Jason Tatum, you look at Don Moran, and you can look at uh, things that these guys can do. I mean, I mean I'm living in Houston, so when you look at Jalen Green, uh, and it's a lot of good talent. I mean, you look what the Cleveland Cavaliers are doing. I mean, you guys got Scotty Bourne. You got some young, young talent. Uh, that's produced at a good little rate here since they've been in the league. So um, it's always going to be good basketball. One thing that, you know, that in the best of times is the NBA is always some new players that step up and that can carry this league. And it, it's never in jeopardy. And it's, it's, it's just, it's always new talent. I mean, look at Joel Embiid, uh, the Joker, uh, great free. You know, um, look at Luca. I love watching Luca. I love watching, obviously, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant and Devin Book. I still enjoy watching LeBron James and Chris Paul. So um, these guys are still playing at the, at the highest level. You know, obviously, it's playoff time. It's uh, coming up pretty soon here in the, week, in the next couple of days. And you're going to see, you know, the level intensity of basketball go to a whole nother level. TJ, it was great catching up with you, man. We really appreciate the time and uh, look forward to chatting again real soon, man. All the best. All right, I'll talk to you guys. That was former Raptors point guard TJ Ford and a belated shout-out to TJ as he just celebrated his 40th birthday about two weeks ago. So thanks again to TJ for joining us on Smith & Jones. When we continue, we will hook up with PJ Carlismo and Bobby Marks. I told you, it's a stack show. Smith and Jones right here on Sportsnet 590 The Fan and all of your favorite podcast platforms. Welcome back to Smith and Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Thanks again to TJ Ford for joining us to start the show. Make sure you subscribe to Smith and Jones wherever you get your podcast. Download, subscribe, rate, and review. And of course, keep it tuned right here to Sportsnet 590 The Fan every Thursday for fresh content as well. As well, we had one former Raptor player, so let's bring in a former Raptor coach and former NBA head coach, longtime college and pro broadcaster as well. In fact, he's been on the show once, maybe even twice already this season. So let's call it for a third time, P.J. Carlissimo. P.J., we just came off the uh, the NCAA championship. Uh, it just seems like every year it's so unpredictable. Uh, the, the kids' game is very different from the pro game. Um, did you did you have Connecticut anywhere in that? I mean, I knew they were a good team, but did you have them anywhere in that and, and, and winning it all? You're not going to believe it. Jones, you won't believe it. I had them six times. Before, obviously, I was assigned before we knew who was where. I was in Albany. I was in Las Vegas. And obviously, I was in Houston. I had all six of their games. Danny was so tired of looking at me. Um, I think I interviewed him like 20 <laughs> times in three weeks. And it was total happenstance. You know, we, I had no idea uh, where they were going to be, where where I was going to be. But I, I literally had all six of their games, every pregame interview, every practice interview, and most of the postgame interviews. So it was uh, – Danny's got his fill of me for the next 10 years, I guarantee you. <laughs> PJ, when you, when you look back at the tournament just a few days removed now, beyond just the championship, what stands out with you – more than anything about what we saw over the course of the few weeks and and is it simply the the top seeds dropping and who was still standing when the dust was kind of settling in the final four or like what what's what's going to be your biggest takeaway from 2023 i think it's a it's deeper than it's been i mean it it, it, that's been kind of happening every year i don't i can't 
say for sure why. I certainly suspect it's the combination of so many one-and-dones and so many transfers now and guys just changing schools, and you have post-grads. Now, we're almost at the end of the COVID. I think other than some guys who redshirted during the, their COVID process, most of the players who were granted that extra year, I think we're one one year removed from some of them. But it, it's so different now, Eric, when you, when you do a game. Yeah, I just – my silly little way of doing the stats, I, you know, I got the, the press radio TV roster – and I always like underline in yellow or something like that if the kid's been at other schools. There's always three or four. A lot of them have been at two other schools, and most of them are there wow. for the first year. So it's like when you do the roster, it's like, whoa, this guy just came from, you know, I mean, uh, it, it's a great thing, but it, it just changes from year to year. Um, I, I think the gap now, you know, Whatever it used to be, used to say like you know once you got beyond an eight or a nine in the old days, like you, you, you it wouldn't say it, but you didn't worry. There was no way we could lose to these guys. That's out the window now. I mean, there are so many more teams that are competitive. I think it's almost a backward thing. Some of the elite teams are just not as elite. The gap is not as big anymore. Yeah. I mean, to me, you used to be able to say three or four teams can win this thing. You know, I know there's upsets, but you got to win six games to win it. Like. Yeah, Alabama got knocked out. Kansas got knocked out. Uh, I'm forgetting who the other one is. Oh, uh, Houston got knocked Purdue. out. But guess what? Connecticut was – exactly. But Connecticut was not good. They were great. They were really a big-time team. Could they have been beat somewhere along the way? Yeah, they could have. But, you know, like, we didn't have an accidental winner this year. I, I, you know, I would make the case, even though they finished fourth in the Big East Conference – they started out 14 and 0. They had a stretch where they went two and six. Now some of those were, you know, at Creighton, at Providence, at Marquette. You know, some of them were games that everybody would have lost. But still, they hit. They hit a rough spot. I think they went two and six. But then they finished like 15 out of 16. I mean, they were really. They were deep. They were really. They were one of the best defensive teams in the country. They were one of the best offensive teams in the country. They were the best rebounding team they made threes they had two big guys and they passed the ball like golden state i mean they were like they led like everybody passed the ball so i mean they were really really good it was no accident that they won but i mean we had so many other games where throw the seats out the window it didn't matter and and yeah it's been headed that way for a while a lot of these games you know that they it's like our semi was our one semi was Miami against Connecticut. The other semi was kind of like a little bit of an upset. It was San Diego State against Florida Atlantic. But I said, if if Miami played UConn in the regular season, that's just a nice intersectional game. It's an ACC team playing a Big East team. You know, that's all it was. But, oh, it's a four versus a five and this and that. Um, it's, It's making for a better tournament. It really is. It's going to be harder to handicap, I think. But having said that, I'm not going to be shocked next year if it's Kansas- you know, Carolina, Michigan State, you know, that there's three blue bloods again in the final four. I'm not saying it's going to be craziness every year, but the, the gap has clearly changed. There's no more. The first weekend is a nightmare now. It's not, but my, Miami came so close to losing to Drake, it wasn't even funny. Because I happen to have both of them in Albany. So I was with Miami for four games and I was with, you know, Connecticut for six. But um, the games are better, the, the games are more competitive. There's more players. There's more older players, too, like with this grad student thing and guys getting the extra year and people transferring. I mean, I'll tell you who it's really impacted, not the tournament. High school seniors, unless you're Paolo Bancaro, like they're not like liking to give you a scholarship. It's like, wait, let me see who we can get from the portal. Let me see who we can get as a grad student, and then we'll deal with the high school guys. It's, uh, it's, it's made the teams older and, in a sense, better but they're not together as long. That's the one thing you're missing. That was the big – you know what struck me as funny? I talk about the women's game for a second. Unless I heard it wrong, I think I watched Iowa in their either round of 16 or Elite 8 game. I thought the stat was they had played – they had started 90-some games in a row together. Those four seniors and Caitlin Clark mm-hmm. had started every game together for three years. Like, that's why they were such a good wow. team. You're just not seeing that in the men's game anymore. I mean, kids just aren't staying well, that long. I, yeah, no, and, 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 P.J., the places where they do stay when they're not transferring are the mid-major yep. schools, right? Like, 
the exactly. one and dones are Duke and Kentucky and 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 the big places. Exactly. So That's I'm why you see you some of those teams, you know, overachieving. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm going to ask you to put your your handicap hat on now for the NBA when we get to, um, you know, the whole play-in thing. First of all, I'd like your thoughts on it. I, I think the NBA got it right with the play-in. I mean, I'm not happy if I'm a seven seed and I'm I'm four games clear of eight, nine, and ten, and they got a chance to run me down. I'm not happy about that, but it's prevented tanking and I said or, or taking away some of the tanking. I said the same thing when they did it, but I, I give Adam credit and whoever the heck. Uh, it's made it. It's made the last couple of weeks so much more interesting. Obviously, it's kept more teams in it, and I'm praying. Uh, I, I'm probably going to get everybody hanging up on you because I'm saying it. Uh, I'm praying that Toronto ends up nine because I've got the East ten at nine game, regardless of where it is. So you know where I'm praying. I get to go to uh, I get to go to Toronto for a game. Hopefully, more than that. But uh, Kesty and I e, have dinner. E, we get East. we get a dinner. I'm, I'm, E, we're I'm getting a dinner. I'm, I'm, I'm praying, and I know, God, what a tough schedule. Nice, nice finishing with Boston twice. Although I guess is, is Boston locked it up now? At least there's a chance Boston is is locked into number two, and that's where it's going to be. Yeah, they end they end the season with yeah. the Bucks, but they've actually got one with Boston, then with Milwaukee. But both of them are locked in. So maybe the Celts and the Bucks are, are resting, guys. We'll see. That means they can get out of uh, they they can get get up to eight is eight as high as the Raptors can get. They can I get seven. That's the case. Both. Yeah. Oh wow. They can get seven if both Miami and Atlanta lose lose out and Toronto oh. wins out. But um, okay. you're, so, you're probably looking at probably nine right like, now. Yeah. 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 Well, selfishly, yeah. I, I I want you know where I want to be, but um, obviously it'll it'll play itself out, but. Uh, when he told me we were east, I said, "All right, please, hey, please uh, be that way." So we'll right. find out. PJ, I, I want to ask you something PJ... here, and uh, Josie, let me just ask a quick one here. I, I wanted to ask yeah. PJ, and it, this kind of ties into playoffs as well. But the last, the last two questions, the last two answers here, PJ, going back to the college stuff, and now talking about the pros as well. You were mentioning the chemistry at the collegiate level of teams being together for three, four years. If I take that same mentality, PJ, and talk about the pros, we don't even see teams sticking together for more than a handful of years at the professional level anymore either, whether it's guys forcing their way out, whether guys not honoring contracts, whether it be front offices trading guys. The movement at the pro level is at the point where it's pretty rare to see a Golden State with Clay and, and Draymond and Steph together for a long time. And how much does that make it difficult to, to build around a solid team that can be a foundation for years and years to go in any respective city. Well, it, it, it certainly makes it tough unless you got an owner and I hate to give owners credit, but I, although you know, my favorite owner is, is right, right there in, in Toronto. And Mr. T's, you know, the best, but um, if, if Joe Lake have been, uh, uh, they write the checks and you can keep a team. That's the problem when you, when you, you don't win unless you have a couple of supers. And as soon as you have a couple of supers, you're either got a whole bunch of complimentary guys or you're, you're way over the, uh, you're way over the number. But having said that, it, to me, it's not an accident that the Bucks and Boston are so good that those teams have been intact. You know I mean? It seems like the same guys are playing for those two teams for the last couple of years. Obviously that was true with golden state. It's happening in Denver. It's happening in Memphis. Now, you know, again, you know, sure, you keep teams together because they win. But, like, I don't think it's an accident that you got some, you know, pretty good continuity in most of the one, twos, and threes uh, there. Philly's had more change, but their key guys been there. But, you know, I'm looking at the Bucks and the Celtics and, and not having thought about this at all, Eric, that you asked me, uh, and Golden State and Memphis and Denver, I'm saying – Man, when I do one of those games, like I pick up my sheet, and my sheet from last year has the same names all about, or virtually yeah, the same yeah. names. I mean, you know, fine, they're adding one guy. But there's a tremendous advantage. Yeah, you got to be good to begin with. But once you're good, to keeping the group together, keeping the coach there, that, that kind of continuity, um, there, you can't put a dollar value on that. We had it in San Francisco, or San Francisco, San Antonio. Pop used to use the term corporate knowledge because the players were there from year to year. They had played together for so long. I remember I was terrified my first practice 
training camp my first year in 02 when I went to San Antonio. And I'm asking Bud and, and Brett and Mike Brown. I'm How about that? Like I'm talking about the coaches. Well, you know, one's coaching the Bucks, the other has sack in it for the first time. And Brett Brown, I thought, did a, an excellent job at Philly when he's there. But I'm saying, like, hey, what am I – they go, just don't worry about it. Just the players know. Like, Pop calls out a drill. They go run to the places and they do the drill. Like, I was the only one that didn't know what was going on at the practice. Uh, <laughs> it, it was unbelievable that just how much, you know – how much they literally knew from year to year. And that, that's a, it's hard to put a dollar value on that. So, so PJ, uh, at the bottom of the East and the West with teams that are kind of coming together, I mean, they don't have the same, obviously, that kind of familiarity. But, uh, you know, I'm looking at some of these teams. Um, do you think they have a chance to upset some of those people at the top? When I look at no, uh, no, y- you don't. Eh? It's talent. That that was pretty Four quick. <laughs> to me, well, no. The fairest thing about the you know I say that of course there's upsets, but the fairest thing and the biggest difference between the NCAA tournament and I just you know I just had my college fix, so I'm done with. Um, the only time it resembles is a game seven. Uh, the only time it's the same. I mean, the NCAA tournament is a nightmare because you you know. You roll an ankle, you get a bad call, whatever the heck happens, you're, you're dead. That's it. It's what's like a game seven. Uh, you don't have control. The fairest thing about the NBA is the, is the four out of seven. If you beat somebody four out of seven times, then you're, you're better than them usually. Or the two of you were so good, you know, it took seven games to separate you and literally could have been a, a coin flip. I don't think there's too many. Now, again, the Lakers are an exception. Um, you can get a team right. that's had injuries or whatever and has a couple of guys. But even for them, um, that game last night was a huge loss for them. When you play them, you better beat them by, you know, five or six or something like that. You better not be in a one-possession game at the end because LeBron or AD can, can deliver them. But I don't know if they can put themselves in position four times, you know, in seven games against one of the elite teams. They can certainly do it against, the, you know, uh, they wouldn't play, but like right now, you know, like in a playoff situation or something like this, the play-in situation, uh, yeah, it's it's one and done. But th- when you have those two guys, you, you're usually going to win the close games. But um, I, I just – I think it's too hard uh, in the NBA. Now, once we get into certainly the conference finals and maybe even – because it, I like the depth in the league right now too, but, you know, maybe – a particular semi because it's just the team matches up well, but having to win four out of seven is really a bear. I mean, barring a, a you know a major injury, um, the, the better team wins the series almost every time. Hey PJ, thanks for doing this as always, man. We appreciate it, and uh, and I guess we'll uh, well. It sounds like we'll probably see. You I next hope week. I'm seeing you. I hope I'm seeing you guys next week. I don't I don't mean to be rooting for or against teams, but you know where I want to be. So I hope I get another trip up. Uh, uh, to Toronto. Thank you. Nice. That was former Raptors assistant coach, former NBA head coach, PJ Carlismo. And we uh, shift our attention quickly and continue the conversation on the NBA, the play in the postseason, and a whole lot more with ESPN front office insider, Bobby Marks. Bobby, we always appreciate you joining us. And, and I'm just going to share with the audience just prior to officially chatting here, you said, Oh, I'm just working on my Raptor offseason stuff. And I said, well, <laughs> hopefully it's the offseason is a little bit further away. Um, whether it ends up being one game, two games in the play-in, whether it ends up being a first or a second round, I don't know. But there's no denying the offseason is going to be very interesting for the Raptors because there are a number of decisions to be made, not just with free agents, but it seems like based on what has happened, uh, some comments that have been made even in the last week, week and a half, that I don't know, maybe there's decisions with – coaches and stuff it's like there's there's a lot going on with the Raptors to say the least no you're right I mean I think I I think I started with you know basically kind of time is up right now you we went through the trade deadline they elected to you know stay pat and that you know that was a decision they wanted to kind of stay in a holding pattern except for the uh, the portal trade um and now you're faced with you know you know you don't have the deadline or the rest of the season as a buffer there and to make decisions with your roster. Yeah. I mean, the first thing you're going to have to get is clarity as far as what happens at head coach. I mean, that's primarily, that's prime, you know, that's number one here as far as 
you know, I think the comments probably caught a lot of us off guard. Um, just probably the timing of it, you know, right before a game in Philadelphia, I guess. And then that team, you know, that uh, the team did not play well. I know they came back in that, that Friday game. Um, but that's going to be primarily one, you know, I mean, Nick's, He's got a year left on his contract here. Um, what does the future look like at head coach? Uh, I don't think you can go into next year kind of on an expiring deal, kind of a lame duck, um, especially if you do have to make a, a change. Usually when you do that, it kind of sets you back a little bit mid-season-wise. Um, so that's that's going to be the big thing for, for Toronto and for everyone to figure out, and then it kind of leads you into um, you know what you do with uh, with your roster. Uh, interesting, Bobby. Uh, you know, you talk about it. Uh, there's going to be some movement. There always is. And, and I think about uh, I think about Toronto and what everybody expected at the trade deadline, as you said, didn't happen. How often do deals get revisited uh, on what I call the other de facto trade deadline day, which is draft day, where there's more clarity in draft picks and, and salary and, and who's happy and who's unhappy and who wants to move and uh, how much do deals get revisited and, and some of the stuff that people talked about with Toronto at the trade deadline, how much of it do you think might happen in, in the off season? Yeah. I mean, everyone keeps a notebook of deals that didn't happen. Um, you know, does it make sense to revisit something, whether it be OG? I mean, Fred is a little bit different just because he's got a, a player option in his, in his contract. Same with, uh, with Gary, they're basically kind of off the board until they figure out what they want to do. I think, I think what's going to be interesting is that, um, you know, we didn't have a set of new rules um, in place to collect the, for the CBA in February. Now we have a little more of an understanding as far as what is going to happen, um, you know, in the future, as far as, you know, some of the restrictions, as far as, you know, if you spend a certain amount of money, you know, you're a little bit more handcuffed going forward. Um, dr- trading draft picks, as far as, you know, certain teams are limited to, to do that. Those rules uh, weren't in place in, in, in February. So I think, you know, for example, um, if the rules were in place now, you know, Brooklyn wouldn't have been able to get a fourth first round pick from Phoenix because the Suns were a second apron team and they were restricted there. And I think that's going to be the big thing. And some of these rules will be phased in um, as, as we go here, not right all right, right in July here. Um, so, you know, the, uh, if there was a deal for OG and you can get three or four first round picks, maybe that deal can't happen. Or, you know, maybe teams look, you know, say, Hey, we've already committed $80 million to two players. I'm, I'm not sure we can, we can go in that way because we're going to be restricted um, you know, he's the guy that I thought was going to be the you know, OG was going to be, be impacted the most from the CBA because I thought the extension rules would have been overhauled. You know, we've we've talked about it because he signed a really um, I guess it, now it's considered a, a team friendly rookie extension. You're restricted to extend them only 120 percent. That rule gets changed to 140 percent. But still, I think that number is going to be probably too low for what he's looking at. And I thought if you had just eliminated the rule and based off the percentage of the cap for him, 30%, I think that gives you teams a little more um, flexibility as far as going out and trade for him because he won't be a free agent here. So, so I think, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, some of the deals will probably be revisited. I think some of the deals probably now are off the table just based on what this new collective bargaining agreement looks like in the future. Hey, Bobby, I'm going to give you a really long-winded question here. Um, looking back at, at the trade deadline, looking at the new CBA as well, all the stuff that we're discussing, looking at the players and the coaches and everything else, um, I'm going to take a real layman's approach to this. There's a reason why teams around the league want OG and Anobi. There's a reason why teams around mm-hmm. the league want Fred Van Vliet. There's a reason why teams around the league would love to get their hands on a Pascal Siakam or even a Scotty Barnes. So it wasn't necessarily surprising to me that the Raptors didn't move on from any of those and chose to add with Pirtle as opposed to moving any, let alone multiple players. But that said, individually these guys are good, and individually these guys are all good fits for other teams and are um, valuable to other clubs. Thus, why is it not working here, or why didn't it work here this year? Is it a chemistry thing? Is it like injuries, which a lot of teams have dealt with? Is it, you know, a new coaching voice? Like, like. Yeah, there's it's probably a combination of slice up the pie and give everybody a piece. But what's your sense of why Toronto wasn't better with the talent that they have? 
Yeah, I mean, it's funny. It's a, it's a good question. I uh, I talked with Zach Lowe about this, um, and we were talking about some of the you know some of the playing teams, you know, with Miami and Toronto, Atlanta, Chicago. And I said, out of the four teams, I probably I still t- trust Toronto the most. <laughs> Maybe I'm foolish. I I, I don't know that that starting five still fear. You know, I still uh, you know kind of you know I'm a little bit fearful of as far in a, in a good way as far as what they have and. That's the that's the, the thing. You know, you went from you know a forty eight win team last year. You're at forty right now. Um, there are some nights where you look like you, you're a team that can get out of the first round. Um, there are other nights where you look like you belong in the lottery here. Um, you know, I'm sure everything kind of goes back to the bench as far as you know some of the deficiencies there. Is it a wear and tear on some of the, some of the you know guys playing an extended amount of minutes here? Is it a lack of Lack of shooting coming off the bench, you know, is it the Gary injury? Um, you know, you know, certainly injuries are part of everything. Is it is it a depth issue? Um, you know, from in that perspective. So, I mean, I think you could probably look at a lot of different things. But, like, I would, you know, for me, it's like I would roll with the starting five, you know, compared to some of these other rosters here. But it's, as you know, you need more than that. I mean, you need kind of um, – you know, you know, some depth at point guard, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, you, you've got length with some of your, your bigs coming off, off the bench, but you're right. I mean, it's just a matter of kind of, they haven't really been able to put it together where you're stringing six in a row, seven in a row here. And that's, that's going to be the hard part because now you go into the off season here and you're right. Every one of these guys, a team would love to have, you know, whether it be Gary or Fred or, you know, Pascal, you know, certainly Scotty, um, OG definitely here. Pearl is another, you know, good one here, but, as a roster together, you have to make a decision. Does, does it work keeping this together? And it's it's going to get more expensive. Wow, um, Bobby, I want to look league wide. I know we have limited time with you. I want to I want to look league wide and uh, looking at the playoffs going ahead uh, in the West, especially. It looks like suddenly you know the Lakers might be able to make some noise. Um, you know, what, what do you see from them? And I just think the playoffs in both in both conferences are going to be absolutely crazy. I, I, I mean, where do you see some of this stuff shaking out? Yeah, I mean, even the plans are going to be tremendous. I mean, we're I mean next week we're going to be looking at probably what uh, Toronto, Chicago, probably in, in Atlanta, Miami, likely West is still up in the air. I, you know, I think the Laker loss last night hurts um, certainly. Going into overtime against Utah, and they eventually won that game just from extended minutes with Davis and LeBron, and it felt like they were really low in the tank. I mean, if they had run the table, you know, you're probably looking at the five seed, and you're looking at Phoenix in in um, in, in round one. Now you're probably you're probably six or seven. You might have to be playing. You you know, they might get they get might get Memphis in um, in in round one here, and it's there. I mean, there's so much parity here because. Even a team like Denver in the one hole, you know, you can get New Orleans. You might get Minnesota here. You know, teams like that. Four or five, you're looking at probably um, Phoenix Clippers. I mean, that's enticing. Golden State, Sacramento. I mean, that could be really appealing here. So, it is it is wide open. You know, certainly the, the teams in the East, that, you know, with Boston and Milwaukee and Philadelphia to extend, I think there is a little bit of separation. But all those three teams will have to play each other just to get to an NBA Finals here. So, I think we could be looking at some really – really high level, you know, um, you know, playoffs, a lot of pressure. Um, you know, there's still the fear of golden state just because of, you know, them winning a championship last year. Wiggins is back here, but you know, I'm sure everyone will pick them if, uh, against that young Kings team here. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're, we're setting up to see something pretty, pretty special. I think it starts next week with those playing games. Hey, Bobby, I know you touched on this a little bit earlier as it related specifically to Toronto, but when you think ahead to the offseason, however the playoffs ultimately unfold, uh, with a lot of teams having to make decisions, maybe some of the older teams, if they don't crack through, are they looking to break up their core? Do they have decisions to make? How much is the CBA, the new CBA, going to impact what teams are doing short, long-term? And, and maybe if I can, you know, if I'm guilty of, this is the second time in the show I've said this, lobbing up a bit yeah. of a softball to you. What was your ultimate gut in just what you saw from the various details that came out of the new CBA? I, I think it's going to make teams um, think twice and going all in. I, I think that's what the, the CBA will do. Um, I think the days of teams trading for first-round picks, um, it's going to make them really hesitant. So, for example, if you're 
Minnesota, um, who, you know, traded a lot for Gobert last year. Now you have to extend Anthony Edwards and then you've got um, McDaniels also. Like, can you can you keep four players making 140, 150 million dollars? And if you can, it puts a lot of pressure on you to, you know, add in the minimum game here. Um, you're limited with draft picks. You don't have as many, you know, you can't trade for, you know, uh, and take back a lot of salary here. So I think that's that's kind of my, you know, my initial, um, you know, take there as far as, you know, the teams that if you build the roster with three players making $40 million, it, it, it's, it'll be challenging unless you have a really good scouting department here and if you're top heavy. And, you know, Mark Cuban did an interview, uh, I think, on Wednesday night, and they were talking a lot about Jalen Brunson from the offseason, but he made it, you know, think about Kyrie, and he says, you know, well, you, know, you see the new CBA. Like, are you comfortable – you know, if you're Dallas paying Kyrie and Luca, you know, $90 million per, per, you know, combined per year. I mean, and then what do you have that you need? And you've already depleted your draft assets. That's, that's the, the challenging part of it. I think, I think it brings everyone kind of to the pack, you know, in a, in a curb spending, certainly, you know, teams sometimes can't help themselves. Um, so that's kind of my initial, you know, and we'll dive into it deeper when we get more details and everything, but that's kind of my in, initial take. Just, it's not a hard cap. You're not forced to pick who you you know you choose as far as your your young players here, but if you go all in and you miss, it's it's going to set you back for you know three or four years here. Uh, Last one for me here, Bobby. Yeah, yeah. Last one for me here, Bobby. Um, I know a media member, and and there's been a lot of chatter around the voting about MVP. Yeah. you know, voting for other awards and all all NBA. And I, I had something that I, I wanted to run by you as a guy who sat in a front office. So I know I know of at least one media member that has given up his vote um, because of, uh, well, the lack of anonymity, players, organizations, people kind of holding things against you. And then the yeah. fact he told me that my vote like it did with Clay Thompson a couple of years ago, not his, but the media vote can keep a guy from getting more money in terms of a, sure. a you know, a supermax or an extension. Um, what do you think about having that part of it in terms of just the all NBA teams that are tied to money, not just bonuses in a contract um, being voted on all NBAs by coaches and GMs, because they would be the ones a that know and B, in the case of GMs, they'd be the ones that would be willing to pay a guy, say, you know what, yeah, that guy deserves that money. Or, you know what, this guy doesn't deserve this money. And, you know, uh, look, and I'll say this, our media biases come through, and I know they've taken the votes away from Eric and I used to have votes. We're seen as local now. We don't get votes because people are worried about our, our bias, our favoritism. And then in some markets... You know, the front office wags their finger at a broadcaster who doesn't vote for their their local or hometown guy. But just that thought, Bobby, of having of having higher powers make those decisions. Yeah, no, it's a good it's a good question. I mean, I think you could do it two ways. Yeah, I mean, the coaches already do all stars, right? Reserves. So it's kind of an added extension there. Um, I mean, I'm even in a notion of just going back to having an anonymous. Like, why do we have to have our names attached to everything? And especially when there's the financial component. I mean, that's the big thing here. Like, so if you're, if your vote, you're, I mean, you're determined if Jalen Brown gets a $287 million extension by putting him yeah. on all NBA or Boston could lose him because yeah. he's going to become a free agent and just walk. I mean, that's the reality of it. And I, for me, I don't have a vote either. I would be uncomfortable doing it. Um, you know, you know, there's relationships with agents, there's relationships with teams. Um, and I think certainly players know, I mean, I'm, I'm sure they'll look at who voted for who and kind of hold, you know, that against it. So I think there's, you know, I think there's one way, I mean, the front office coaching thing, that's, that's, you know, I think that's one way. I think you do it anonymous. I don't know if we do it. I don't know. We do committees. I don't know. We do like college football playoffs. You know, like we have a committee here. I think it, it becomes a little more challenging because if it's a hundred people, um, it's a hundred different opinions here. And it's, you know, we, I don't see, you know, as many, you know, I mean, you know, I'm home a lot. So I watch probably more games than other people, but if you're, I mean, if you guys are covering Toronto, maybe you're not watching Portland as much as someone else here. So it is, it does become a little bit more of a, 
a challenge. I don't know how much the 65 game restriction, you know, is going to play into it when we, I thought that's more of a PR thing moving, moving forward with, uh, with that here. But yeah, I mean, whenever there's, there's a financial component to it and there's a vote, it's, it's, um, you know, you're put in an uncomfortable spot. Bobby, we appreciate the time, the insight and perspective as always. Thanks for joining us, man. That was ESPN front office insider Bobby Marks. Folks, I'll say it one last time. Make sure you subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcasts. Download, subscribe, rate, review, share on Google, Apple, Spotify, or otherwise with fresh content on Sportsnet 590 The Fan every Thursday as well. And we will keep it rolling through the playoffs, however long the Raptors last. We will still be around talking NBA, talking Raptors right through to uh, the draft and free agency as well. Thanks to Bobby Marks. P.J. Carlissimo and T.J. Ford, Austin Mackey, Mark Boffo, our crew. For Paul Jones, I'm Eric Smith. Thanks again for tuning in to Smith & Jones.